Yeah. Back with you is another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz as we talk the world of Hawkeye athletics with you. Iowa with a bowl victory to cap the season. Two bowl victories in a row after the win a season ago against Boston College in the Pinstripe Bowl. This time a step up in competition and a nice win over Mississippi State. We got basketball, in fact, coming up later today as we record this here on a Wednesday afternoon. The Hawkeyes on the road in Evanston to take on Northwestern after Iowa Sunday got their first Big Ten win. Biz, it's all positive in the world of the Hawks right now. Yeah, if you ignore the fact that half our football team is uh, <laughs> leaving early, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on the positive, Trent. That was, that was a fun and exciting uh, bowl victory. It was not certainly not your usual uh, Iowa win, and I think it was uh, a different game than probably everybody expected. I, if you'd have told me beforehand that uh, Mississippi State was going to score more than 21 points, I'd have said we were in deep, deep trouble. So uh, we... Uh, Found a way to put some points on the board and uh, give credit to uh, Nate Stanley for having a heck of a game against a really good defense and, and give credit to Brian Ferentz for realizing pretty early in that game that uh, we were not going to run the ball consistently and if we were going to win, we had to uh, be creative, which we were. Made enough plays in the victory as Iowa gets win number nine on the season. They finished ranked at number 25 in uh, one of the final polls of the season. Certainly a good capper there. Something that hasn't happened a whole lot. It's either been really good or really mediocre. This one, right in between that. There's certainly frustrating aspects, but the bowl victory uh, at least puts some kind of shine on this season, even if it did feel like it could have been even more than what they gave us. Yeah, I think anybody that anybody that claims this was not a good year is uh, is fooling themselves or is just unrealistic about Iowa football and their expectations because. Uh, Clearly, it was a good year. It wasn't a great year. It wasn't a uh, all-time year. But uh, you know, we look back at 2008, which is a nine and four year, and a, and a win against an SEC team um, to end the year in the Outback Bowl as a very favorable year. And hopefully, uh, down the road, we'll look at this year kind of the same. Uh, obviously, there were some missed opportunities. I think everybody would agree this had the potential to be a really great year, and it wasn't. But uh, on the flip side, uh, a month ago or by mid-November, it, it uh, looked like it could also be a complete train wreck of a year, and, and fortunately it didn't go that direction either. So uh, good end of the year and, and some good positive vibes going forward. You know, I, I think a big reason that 2018, and it's very easy to equate you know, what happened in 2008 and what happened here in 2018 because of going to the Outback Bowl, a bowl victory against an SEC team, and a lot of close losses. Now, I think the reason that maybe that season's looked back a little more fondly, though, is because of what followed up the following year in 2009 with the runoff of the first nine games of the season, what they did, Orange Bowl victory, all those things. I hope that I think that kind of helped also relive that 2008 season and, and put it in better air, understanding what it turned into. You mentioned the, the losses, but do you still believe this can be a catapult, something that can take them to that next step next season? Well, looking at our schedule for next season, Trent, I'm going to go out on a, on a major limb here and say we will not start with nine straight wins next year. So I, I think I'm op- optimistic for this program going forward. I, I think uh, we've got things going in the right direction. Uh, I think the last couple of years recruiting has been good. I think uh, 
give credit to the coaching staff. I think they've adjusted and, and been flexible in some some ways, and they've certainly uh, adjusted with the times as far as you know switching to the the five defensive backs this year, and, and you know just kind of the change in philosophy philosophy on fourth downs, those types of things. But uh, realistically, you look at our schedule next year, and you look at the fact that we're probably going to lose four guys, assuming Hawkinson uh, does what everybody thinks he's going to do at this point. Uh, you know, I, you combine those two things, the schedule and the uh, attrition here at the end of the year, you know, realistically it probably looks like another eight-win season again next year. 2009, many of the same things were being said. A road schedule that included road dates, what at Ohio State, Michigan State, they had another big one on the road that season. Uh, Iowa State was on the road that year, as it'll be next season. Look, I, I don't think they're going to be 9 0 or anything like that, but there's still a chance. I like the way things are trending, even with all the losses. I'm more optimistic, I think, than I normally am going into next season. And a big part of it, going back to what we saw in the Outback Bowl victory, was Nate Stanley. I, I still think there is so much more upside to him, and a senior quarterback in college football can take you a long, long way. Well, he's obviously the key, and we talked about it this year. He was, he was, you know, the key coming into this year as well. And he had a good but not great year, and was was inconsistent. But uh, yeah, if he can put it all together and be the quarterback that uh, he's shown glimpses of being, then, then sure. I mean, if he can be a, if he can be an All Big Ten quarterback, then there's no reason this team can't uh, compete for a Big Ten West title. Because I, I think we all agree the Big Ten West is going to be completely up for grabs next year. I mean, I think you could make an argument that every team except for Illinois has a chance of winning it next year. And it might, you know, you, you might nine and three might win it. Cause I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be some uh, beating up each other and, and, you know, nobody's going to get through it uh, unscathed. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. If, if Nate can take that next step forward as a third year quarterback, uh, certainly you have to, you should be more optimistic than, than I was, but, uh, He's going to have to prove it game in and game out before I uh, before I buy into it again. I bought into it probably a little too much this year, and uh, you know he just hasn't shown the consistency game in and game out to be that uh, that guy that you can just uh, carry our team. One thing that maybe is reigning in some optimism that I have though would be offensively. Not only the loss of the tight ends, but you know, the running game still really hasn't got going. And you look the last couple of years before this. Akron Wadley, I think, covered up a lot of the deficiencies that, that I was had in the run game. Is that something you, you would anticipate or, or think, look, I was never going to go completely away from the zone-blocking scheme, but maybe even more elements that are added to it, more of the gap-blocking scheme, more ways to go because the run game just never really got going this year. And I th- Brian Ferentz obviously realized that. Kirk realizes that. And I think they're, they're both willing to change and adapt enough. Do you think that's going to be maybe a big spring p- topic? You mean that minus 15 yards didn't get you excited for our really. uh, running game going into the next year? Not really. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about it a lot. You know, everybody kind of talks about Iowa's O-line, you, and, and just being kind of a factor that comes offensive line, when, when really that hasn't been the case over the last few years. Uh, man, they, they were a really, really good pass-blocking unit this year, but, uh, you know, the combination of not having great running backs plus really not moving people off the ball, you know, let us to be an average at best running game. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say when you're coming off a game when you have negative 15 yards, it's 
it's hard to have any optimism at all. But the two games before that, against Illinois and Nebraska, we ran the ball really well, and it looked like Makai Sargent kind of uh, established himself as potentially a guy that can be a uh, a weapon going forward. But but certainly, anybody that claims that, that the running game is uh, going to be good next year is, is fooling themselves because uh, it's it wasn't pretty at times this year, and it certainly wasn't pretty in the bowl game. And uh, yeah, I think if you if you pulled the coaching staff, I think that would probably be their biggest frustration this year is that the uh, the running game just never got going. And you're going to be losing a couple of starters up front along the offensive line, Ross Reynolds, Keegan Render, both those guys moving in, but it'll be Tyler Lindebaum, it sounds like, taking over that center position. And Well, I, I'm sure you, you've heard a lot of stories from that guy over in your neck of the woods over there in uh, the Iowa City corridor area. Is it a foregone conclusion? He just he's a center going into next year. Really, the only stories I've heard about him is he's a hell of a baseball player. I think uh, our good friend Dumps went scouted or went and watched a baseball game where he hit a ball about uh, about five hundred feet. I think so. <laughs> but so he's obviously a heck of an athlete. I mean, any, anybody that can be a uh, you know a Division one offensive lineman, but also be a, a good baseball player, they're obviously a pretty well rounded athlete. But Usually in these situations, the coaching staff, uh, you know, they don't move those people around for no reason at all. So my guess, my guess is, and to me, that move signifies two things: one, that they think he can be a heck of a center, but more importantly, even than that, I think they they think Davion Nixon can be a star at defensive tackle, and that we've got more depth there than than they're leading on. So, because if if Nixon wasn't somebody they think they can plug in on day one. I don't understand why you move him over because we certainly don't seem to have a lot of uh, returning depth at defensive tackle. So that may be a big assumption on my part or, or just hope on my part. But, yeah, I think you're going to see uh, Lindebaum be the starter at center next year. I think you're going to see Nixon get uh, plenty of snaps at, at D-tackle as well. Going to need that. Need Cedric Lattimore to take that senior leap that we've seen so many guys do, him and, and Brady Reef both, that they can take a big step forward and, and maybe a youngster surprises a guy like Shannon that's already on campus, or even Hunt uh, goes in there and can help out a little bit at defensive tackle. You know, on the ends, they're going to be set up well. With Epines and Golson, obviously not the same kind of depth that they had before with the losses that they're going to have with Hesse and Anthony Nelson moving on. But that's going to be good. Linebackers, now there's experience there, plus all the new guys they brought in the last couple of classes. And you go to the defensive backfield. Hooker, big blow. But I think Ojemudia can play that role. I think they have some different options that they can go. We saw Julius Brents look really good at times. Hankins is outstanding. DJ Johnson gets a lot of buzz here. I think they're going to be fine back there. And this defense, as good as it was this year, it can be really good again next season. Well, the defensive backfield, I think, uh, with Phil Parker's genius back there, I don't ever worry about the defensive backfield anymore. Yeah. That guy yeah. is a... Uh, an absolute genius when it comes to to D backs. He'll find somebody and they'll be uh, they'll be stout back there. But uh, you know, anytime you lose all four of your your starting defensive linemen, I know people talk about the fact that our backup line was just as good at times. But uh, you lose all four of them, uh, that's a concern because I think the one thing that really set our team apart this year is, is for the first time ever, you could say we had a uh, SEC quality defensive line as far as being able to. You know, shuttle people in and out. I mean, we had eight legitimately good defensive linemen this year, and, and that, that never happens in Iowa. And unfortunately, it looks like it's probably not going to happen next year. Uh, but that was a pretty good uh, a pretty good problem to have when, when 
people were complaining about A.J. Epinesa not getting enough snaps. Uh, that won't be a problem next year because he's going to play pretty much every down, and we'll see how he does when he's uh, on snap 70. So as optimistic as I have been, there is one glaring hole, and that's the kicker possession. And Miguel Racinos, he was a, a very good kicker, even with a few misses in there. He was outstanding for two years. You got some guys around, you got some guys on campus, but overall, Certainly, I think, a pretty big concern going into next year. Who's going to be the kicker? I would guess we'll go back to Duncan. I mean, it's an odd situation. you got a guy that was a starter two years ago and, and then uh, is still on campus and still has two more years to go. So I would think he'll get every opportunity to get the, get the uh, position back. And if he does, I mean, I think he's shown he's a good kicker from you know 40 yards and in, but Certainly he doesn't have the leg of Racinos. He's not going to be the uh, blasting it through the end zone that we've seen the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, I'm not nearly nearly as concerned a kicker as I am a punter. I mean, punter is just an embarrassment. I mean, we do not have a Division One punter on our roster. And, uh, you know, unless something drastic happens, I would love to see us go out and find someone else because it just doesn't seem like either one of those guys are capable of, of stepping up in the – being a, a, a power five punter. You know, what was the deal with Gersande, a guy that redshirted this year? Okay, you keep a year of eligibility, but he could have punted up to four games. As bad as it was going in the Outback Bowl, they didn't trot him out there. Is there something more maybe going on? Um, my guess is they just don't have any confidence in him. I yeah. mean, they must. I mean, he must be a guy that practiced at Oblastland 60 yards and then Shank went into row 10 because uh, <laughs> they clearly have more more confidence in Rastetter, and they know what they're getting with him, which uh, isn't good, but I guess he at least keeps the ball in, in play, and I think he does the, he does what they ask him to do, which isn't always the pretty. He doesn't always do it pretty, but, but the, uh, you know, he angles it and he keeps it, you know, keeps it from being returned, which I guess uh, is the one positive we can say about our punt, punt game is that rarely do people get long returns against us. That is a good thing. That is a positive. The coverage teams have been very good. And a little optimism going into next season should be, uh, hopefully, an entertaining one on that front. So, are you ready to talk basketball? Yeah. It's, uh, well, like you said, we're going back on the road tonight, which uh, has been a house of horrors for the Hawks. But simple question for you, Trent, on basketball. Uh, are we a good basketball team? Uh, just what's your, your one-word answer to that, yes or no? Yes. I believe this is a good basketball team. I do. How come? Because they can score? Because they got a lot of weapons? They they can... Well, we've always been able to score. That's never a problem with Fran's teams. I think this is a good basketball team. I do. I really do. I, I look at them, and, and I you look at the losses. The, the Purdue one, okay, that, that was frustrating to watch. But in a way, you could see it coming. With, with taking away... All right, Carson Edwards is really good, and they hit a bunch of shots, and they hit shots with guys even in their face at times. The Tyler Trent situation, I think, added to that, and even in that game, I think added another layer that was going to be difficult for Iowa to overcome. They got blasted by Michigan State. Iowa seemingly always gets blasted by Michigan State on the road. The Wisconsin loss was a 50-50 game. I still think this is a good team. Good good enough to be an NCAA tournament team? Absolutely. Uh, my answer, I would say they're good, but with a caveat. I think they're only a good team 
if they can stay fully healthy going forward. I mean, what we've seen is, is first of all, I think this team definitely misses Pemsel more than we thought because mm-hmm. he provided a, a toughness that, that we just don't have, especially on the road. Um, and then you saw at Purdue, you know, without Garza, they just got mauled underneath. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, with, with the injuries we've had and the problems we've had so far, we got to stay fully healthy. I think if everybody stays healthy, if Garza gets back and, and we don't have any other injuries, then I'd agree with you. I think we have a chance to be a good team. But uh, the odds of us staying 100% healthy going forward are, are probably unlikely. And so, you know, obviously our, our margin for error as far as uh, depth right now is razor things. If anybody goes down, as we've seen, the next next man in is Riley Till, which uh, is not good. Can we stop playing Riley Till at center in the last minutes of the first half? It doesn't work. But Trent, we had people with two fouls. They cannot play with two fouls, so he has to play. It's it's the Fran rules. So chance to cut that one at Purdue down to double uh, single digits, and it goes back the other way, and they're down seventeen. Just drives me absolutely up a wall. Here's a guy though that has certainly taken some arrows throughout the years from us. I got to give credit to Isaiah Moss, and he had the double double against Nebraska. Didn't shoot it really well in that game. But he was able to impact the game in a lot of different ways. And you look at him, he has had multiple assists now in, I think, seven consecutive games, something like that. He's had five assists last time out, six, uh, four, four the times previous to that. This is a guy that always could score. We knew that, but it does feel like finally Isaiah Moss is adding more than just that scoring element. But his his effort level against Nebraska was, was definitely a pleasant surprise. I he got on the floor a couple times. He had a putback. Uh, he had a couple other really nice rebounds where, where he went in and got contested rebounds. Uh, you know, I think that's always been my biggest frustration with Isaiah Moss is, is that he lets his his shooting affect the rest of his game. When he doesn't shoot well, he tends to not get back on defense. He tends to not play very hard. Um, he didn't have a great shooting game against Nebraska, but he just he played well in other areas. Which uh, let's hope that's a. Uh, a sign of things to come because he played well, and then obviously Jabo uh, played well also. And my thing with Jabo, which I've always said, is you know I don't care if he goes two for fifteen. I just want to see him shoot the ball. You know he has to shoot the basketball. Teams are planning to keep you know to keep him in check. Uh, if he goes two for five or two for six, he might as well go sit on the bench because he's not helping us in other areas. So uh, he's got to shoot the basketball and. You know, I, I think he's shown in the past when he shoots the ball a lot, uh, generally he gets hot. I mean, rarely, I can't remember a game ever, where J-Bo went two for 15 because usually if he misses those first three or four, he just stops shooting. And you know, This team needs him to shoot the basketball more. He, they need him to be a, a threat every game out. And, and I'm hoping, you know, for whatever reason, his confidence seemed to be lacking until the last couple games, and, and he seems to have a little bit of that swagger back. And we need J-Bo with that swagger because, you know, as you saw when he was a freshman, when he gets that swagger going, he's a, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the the wins late in the season on the road when they went out. Uh, they beat Maryland. They beat Wisconsin in back-to-back games, and, and he was a big part of that. And certainly uh, the, the shots that he took and the shots that he made to win it against Wisconsin, he had 24, I think, something like that in the game against Maryland. He was incredibly good. You're right. W- without him shooting the basketball, this team, he, he doesn't add a whole lot to the game when he's not doing that, and especially now that you have a lot more of McCaffrey running the point and him at the two, that's what he has to do. You mentioned Garza. 
uh, a big guy that is plotting. He's working his way back from a pretty pretty good ankle sprain. How close is he getting? Do you think? Well, he certainly seemed uh, he seemed close to 100 percent on uh, on Sunday night. I, mean, I was surprised how uh, mobile he seemed and how uh, you know comfortable he seemed on the floor because I had heard from multiple sources that his ankle injury was was pretty bad and it was one that uh, was going to take multiple weeks to recover. So I was surprised that he played and, and really surprised that he played as well as he did. So, you know, is he at a hundred percent? Probably not, but I think he's, you know, he's somebody that doesn't necessarily rely on his, his athleticism and jumping ability to begin with. Uh, he can probably get away with being, you know, 80, 90% better than somebody like Cook or, or Moss could be. Well, uh, with that, we move on and we take a look at something that you brought up a little bit earlier. Fran McCaffrey and uh, adapting, continuing to evolve and change. We heard a lot of the the rhetoric coming into the season about how they're going to be better defensively. And they are better than they were a year ago, the Purdue game notwithstanding, when a lot of the same issues cropped up there. They're better, still not great on the defensive end, 123rd in the country in adjusted efficiency over at Ken Palm. But uh, some of the things haven't changed. Usage of timeouts when a team's on a run. Two foul participation, as you talked about. They're 325th in the country in that category with uh, guys getting 4.7% of minutes when they get their second foul in the first half. With all that, Biz, uh, are you hopeful that we're going to continue to see an evolving Fran McCaffrey, or is it just what you see is what you get? Uh, I'm not hopeful at all. I am uh... Whatever the optimistic, whatever the opposite of hopeful would be, I am completely. Uh, I've completely come to the realization that that Fran is who he is, and he's just not going to change. I mean, one of the things I think, uh, hopefully, most knowledgeable fans uh, realize with, with Kirk Ferentz is that he really has adapted a lot the last four or five years, and, and he's kind of changed with the times. And to Fran's credit, I think he's uh, listened to some of his assistants and, and let some of them. Uh, come up with some creative ideas. I'm pretty confident some of those special teams things we've seen did, did not come from the uh, the brain of Kirk Ferentz. I think they, uh, you know, he's got some young guys on his staff that have some good ideas. And for whatever reason, this doesn't seem like there's anybody on, on Fran's staff that kind of has him by the ear and says, okay, here's the, uh, here's the new way to do things, but let's try some new things. He just seems to be dug in on these things, and the two-foul rule is going to be what it is. The refusal to take timeouts is going to be what it is. The, the, the limited defensive uh, capabilities, you know, those are just things we're going to have to learn to deal with. And I mean, Until he shows at least an inkling of uh, an ability to change, there's no reason to, uh, to hope it's going to happen. So that's part of the reason why, like I said, I've tried to stop complaining about the two-foul rule because it ain't going to change. No, it is not. All right, tonight it is Northwestern next on tap in a big four-game stretch for Iowa. It is Northwestern tonight at home for Ohio State, at Penn State next Wednesday, and then Sunday for home the 20th against Illinois. Really feels like you got to be at minimum 3-1 and one in this stretch. Yeah, I said, including the Nebraska game, I thought we had to go at minimum 3-2. and two. So with the Nebraska game in your pocket, uh, that's a big win because now you got a little bit of flexibility in there, and you know, you know, I think two and two would be unfortunate. You know, three and one would be ideal, and four and one or four and zero oh would be obviously, you know, 
incredible, but I, I think it's unlikely that we're going to go four and zero in any stretch of the Big Ten the way it is this year. Um, but you mentioned the road games at Wisconsin and Maryland a couple of years ago. Um, that's kind of the jumping off point for where I had uh, Stat Boy do some research this year. So you're ready to uh, exercise the demons when it comes to Iowa's road game struggles, Trent. <laughs> Let's go down the road. I saw the stat that was thrown out during the Purdue game last week from Mike Halas that Iowa has trailed by 17 or more in 11 straight road Big Ten games. I'm sure this isn't going to be pretty. Yeah, well, and that's the stat that kind of got me thinking because that is that stat just blows your mind. I mean, 17 down 17 or more in 11 straight road games is, is unfathomable. But uh, so what I did is I had Statboy dig even deeper to see just how bad it's been for Iowa on the road. And like I said, the purpose of doing this, Trent, is to uh, exercise the demons because if we've, if we've got a chance to right the ship on the road, it's the next two games. You go to Northwestern, to Penn State. If you're going to win some road games, those are uh, about as good of opportunities as it gets. So, so you're ready to hop in the, uh, the time machine and just go back a couple years? Let's get rid of this awfulness uh, that is Iowa on the road. Let's go. All right. So, since we beat Wisconsin and Maryland, two ranked teams on the road at the end of the 2016-2017 season, we have had 13 true road games. In those 13 true road games, we are 1-12, and and, uh, the stats are are truly astonishing. So you're ready to kind of jump into a a top-10 list of uh, how bad the stats have been? Top ten of awfulness. Here we go. Yep. So number one is the Michael Halas stat. As you said, it's 11 straight games. The last 11, we have been down at least 17 or more in 11 in a row. So that, that was a jumping off point. So that's number one. Um, number two, most of those games, not only have we not been competitive, but we've been done for by halftime. You want to guess how many of those games we have been down by double digits at the half? How many games is it? 13 games, so we're 1-12. in 12. In those 13 games, how many were we down by at least double digits at the half? 11 of them. That is correct. <laughs> right on. So The only two we were not was the first of the 13, Virginia Tech. Uh, we actually were tied at that game, and then it just Ooh. imploded in the second half. And the other one was at Iowa State last year. The other ones, we've been down by 10 or more in all of them. So uh, not pretty. So... Uh, Number three on the list of top ten, in ten of the 13, we lost by 13 or more. So uh, it wasn't like we uh, fell behind and then battled back. We, we did that a couple times. We did that, uh, we obviously beat Illinois, mm-hmm. and then we came back against Minnesota last year. But most of the time, uh, once we fell behind, it was it, it was over. We've lost by 13 or more uh, ten of the 13 games. So number four on the list, Trent, just breaks down, gets into some defensive stats because uh, – this will not shock you, but we have been very, very poor defensively on the road. So, number four, guess how many of the games we have given up 80 or more points of the 13? 12. Yeah, you're, you're guess a little high. 11 is the answer okay. again. We give 80 or more in 11 of them. We've given up 74 or more in all 13 of them. So, uh, not pretty. Uh, number five, another defensive stat. Um, we have averaged giving up over 85 a game in those 13 losses. So uh, you, you average giving up 85 a game. You're, you're not going to win many road road games. So uh, not pretty. Here, here's the, the, here's the thing, stat. though. Have they given up 100? Uh, no. See? We, Great. We scored, a, we scored 100. We, uh, we, we, 
we ended up beating Illinois 104-97. But uh, we actually, I think that's the only game we've even given up more than 90. We've been pretty <laughs> consistent. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, – It's easy to get to 80-plus against Iowa. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, go ahead. So, number six is the, the last of kind of the defensive ones. Um uh, Guess what our opponents have shot against us in these 13 games? 54%. Well, 54, that'd be ridiculous, Trent, but 49.5%. So, well, that's not good. 50% against us, and almost 40%. They shot 39% from three-point range against us. So, uh, again, not stellar defense on the road. So, number seven, Trent, this is probably my favorite of the ten, actually because it has to do with the fact that uh, we have not only have we been bad defensively, but we have been brutal in taking care of the ball. The assist-to-turnover ratio in these 13 games, <clears throat> I think is pro- probably the most telling of all the stats. Our assist-to-turnover ratio in the 13 games, we've had 196 assists and 188 turnovers. The opposing teams have had 238 assists and 124 turnovers. So, They've uh, almost a two-to-one two to ratio, where ours is barely a one-to-one ratio. Mm. So uh, that, to me, is the most telling stat, that you can't win games on the road or even be close to winning games on the road when you turn the ball over. And we've averaged 14.5 turnovers a game. So, uh, like I said, to me, that is the most telling of all the, uh, the stats. That's hideous. Yeah, it's just brutal. I mean, just a, a, barely a one-to-one ratio when it comes to assisted turnovers. So... Number eight gets into the last eight games. The, the fifth game of it was when we beat Illinois in the uh, nice comeback last year. In the last eight games, Trent, we have led for a total of 21 minutes in those eight games. So, so not good starts you, and not good finishes. Yeah, yeah. So basically, we haven't even been in the games. I mean, basically, as we talked about last year, there's a pattern. Usually the first four minutes of games, we tend to hang around a little bit, and then as soon as we sub, the you know, wheels fall off, and uh, we never battle back. So not good. So number nine, Trent, gets into the uh, average margin of loss. In the 13 games, our average margin of loss is over 14 points a game, and in the last eight since the Illinois game, our average margin of loss is over 17 a game. So unfortunately it's getting worse, not better. And that's with the comeback uh, last year against Minnesota that they almost pulled out, and they're yeah. still averaging losing by four. With the Isaiah Moss going nuts at the, at the end. <laughs> so the last one, Trent, I thought maybe, well, maybe it's just we played really good teams. Mm-hmm. So look, had Stat Boy give me the information on how these teams fared uh, that we've lost to, the 1-12 the, the record. When you look at it, uh, not so much, Trent. We have not played exactly uh, a murderer's role of opponents, so... Of the 13 opponents, uh, four of them ended up having losing records last year. So we got blown out at Iowa State, at Rutgers, at Penn State, and then, and then Illinois had the losing record as well. Only three of the teams made the NCAA tournament last year, and only Michigan was the only one that made it past the first round of the NCAA tournament. So uh, you, you can't make the argument that, well, we're just getting beat by really, really good basketball teams because uh, that's the case for a few teams, the Michigans and the Ohio States of the world. But uh, for the most part, we've gotten blown out by uh, mediocre basketball teams. And so after saying all that, Trent, uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say we win tonight. So uh, no, there's no, uh, 
no empirical evidence to back that up. But uh, it's time to exercise the demons and uh, pull out a win at the uh, mighty Welsh Ryan Arena tonight. Well, it is a matchup that does seem to play pretty well to what Iowa is. When you look at Northwestern, they are built more inside this season. Derek Pardon, their big guy in the middle. Vic Law, who I think played with Evan Eschmeyer back in the day. He's been around forever. But this is overall not a great guard team, if you will, outside of Taylor. Now, this isn't a great guard team. So I think the matchup sets up very well for Iowa. Well, and at some point you just got to, as a team, you just got to toughen up and say enough, enough. I mean, we uh, we tend to talk a good talk about being ready to go on the road and, and seem like we're uh, ready to turn the corner. But uh, we don't generally follow that up with uh, – you know, actions on the court. But for whatever reason, I think tonight uh, I was really happy to see J-Bo uh, get some confidence back. And, and like you said earlier, I was really impressed with Isaiah Moss's just seeming willingness to kind of finally uh, play with the effort that you need to. So, I, again, I have no legitimate reason for thinking this because I just went through five minutes of horrific stats. <laughs> but uh, we're going to come out and win tonight, Trent. Get it done. Get the victory against Northwestern. Get some positive vibes going and hopefully go on a little bit of run here over this stretch. Get themselves back into uh, into the middle of the pack in the Big Ten and then maybe make a jump forward from there. So that is basketball biz and a, a deep dive into things. Are you ready to move on from the hoop squad and uh, and get into a couple other topics? Yeah, what else you got on the agenda for me? Well, you said you wanted to talk NFL. You, you got some picks this weekend. Is that what it is? You're feeling good? Trying to make a little money after the disaster that was our, our football betting this year? Well, amazingly enough, in the, in the HSC, uh, I've actually done quite well on, on the random NFL picks. I think I got uh, three out of four correct last week. and so Maybe I've just been picking the wrong sport all this time. Well, it looked like we were going to get our teams facing off. Instead, it'll be Rams against the Cowboys as the Bears Missed a field goal at the end. Uh, feeling confident with your Rams this weekend? Um, yeah, I am. Um, I, I think uh, I don't think the Cowboys are a very good team. Yeah. I think they're decent, but uh, I think the Rams will. I think it's a seven or eight point spread. I'm not sure they'll, they'll cover the spread, but I, I think they'll win this week. But uh, yeah. What do I know? I look at all four games, and I think all four home teams are clearly the better teams this week. But uh, we'll see if that actually plays out. So you're feeling good. You like the Chiefs, Rams, Patriots, Saints. What's the most likely of an upset then? Of the four, I think the Chargers. I think the Chargers, uh, for whatever reason, Philip Rivers seems to uh, they seem to kind of turn the corner from being the uh, annual team that, that finds a way to blow it to. Uh, they're kind of a fun team to watch. I know uh, we've got a couple friends of ours that despise Philip Rivers for his uh, pure arrogance. Uh, I kind of like Philip Rivers' arrogance. He, he's kind of a goofy-looking uh, old guy who, who tends to act like he's really tough when really he's a uh, an old father of nine or whatever he is. A shocker. You like somebody with arrogance. That, that's baffling. Yeah, exactly. So, I also had the, I think we had the argument last year about whether you like Draymond Green. and I love Draymond Green as well. So. Yeah, that guy's a punk. No, I, I'm, all, I'm all about Phil Rivers, but not so much of the Draymond side of things. All right, let's get out of here with Business Beat of the Week. Hey, kids, gather around for Business Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Business Beat of the Day. 
Well, Trent, I gave you a, a preview of the Beat of the Week during my angry rant during the National Championship game. And, uh, to me, after watching that National Championship game, anybody that came away from that thinking that we still need to have the uh, archaic three years of college football rule um, is just ridiculous. I mean, for purely selfish reasons, obviously you, me, and, and every other college football fan loves the rule because it means uh, you get to watch guys that should be in the NFL play uh, for free instead. So um, for purely selfish reasons, it's great. But you look down the rosters, there's absolutely no, re- no reason that Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Judy, uh, Travis Etienne, the Ross guy that was catching things uh, like he was OBJ, all those guys, all of them are uh, underclassmen that were, are forced to come back next year. And there's absolutely no reason that they should be in uh, college football next year. They should be allowed to go out and uh, earn a paycheck. And, and I think we're, uh, we've seen this year with uh, the bowl games and everybody, kind of the mass exodus, I think that's the next step. I, I think you're going to get to see within the next three or four years kind of a uh, – there's going to be some, some major arguments towards uh, – changing that rule it'll be interesting to see what happens because uh when they make that argument i just don't see what the uh the counter argument is for forcing them to have to play uh three years of a uh, free labor you know it's interesting when you say that i i think i've i've come to the conclusion the reason that you're backing this we know your love of ivory kelly martin you're probably already his agent i'm sure that's what it is and you're ready for him to move on to the nfl and collect a check yourself right well that's as we all know that's the reason trent he uh Played sparingly once he got injured this yes, year. Yes. You know, you, you don't want to risk your uh, your future getting injured against an inferior Big Ten opponent. So he's a smart man. Can't wait for those checks to clear. All right. With that, Biz, we are out of here. Big one tonight for the Hawks getting on the right side of things on the road at Northwestern. We'll talk again next week, Biz. All right. Go Hawks.